The Legally Brief podcast is produced by the law offices of Judy Saunders. Hello, everyone. I am so happy to be sitting down with everyone for a next episode of the Legally Brief podcast and delighted to have with us today, John Klodzik. John is a world-class, I have to say that, um, coach. He's a goalie training coach. He runs his own shop, his own business here in New Jersey. And I, of course, don't want to belabor any uh, bio or intro to John because I want him to tell all everyone directly about his wonderful career. And then I'm going to jump in from time to time, kind of lead the questions and talk a little bit more. So, John, let's just kick it right off. I don't want to keep listeners um, waiting in anticipation. Can you just start off like we do most shows, just talking about a little bit about yourself. Tell the audience who you are, um, how you got into coaching, and your early athletic career. Sure, that'd be great. Well, I want to thank you for having me. Uh, it's exciting to be on a, a podcast and, and to be with someone I've known for, for a couple years and actually to, to work and coach with your children. It's, uh, it's a full circle, so I'm excited to be on sure. today. So, um, yeah, so I'm John Plodgic. I, uh, I'm the owner of Modern Goalkeeper. It's a goalkeeper-specific training school. Um, we have locations all over the tri-state area, and we specialize in just teaching young goalkeepers or youth goalkeepers um, the proper way to, uh, to develop as a, a youth athlete. Um, so uh, our focus is really bringing them from a foundation level and uh, teaching them all the necessary skills so they can uh, have some options to potentially play professionally when they're older or uh, piggyback that into a collegiate career. Um, and uh, I've, been start, I've been coaching since 2009. That's when I established Modern Goalkeeper. And uh, we've, we've been growing since uh, I was the initial member and owner. And now we have seven coaches working uh, with us. And and everything's been excellent. So we have a great platform for uh, the players to develop in a safe and uh, and progressive environment. Awesome. So that's exciting to hear. And we're going to loop back and talk about modern goalkeeping. But I want to take listeners back a couple years, maybe a decade or two. I know that you, uh, anyone that's looking, could probably say you're in your early 20s or so. But if we take everyone back to your early career, it's my understanding, and I know that our listeners want to hear about how you even got into the sport. A lot of our listeners themselves, they are either uh, have children that are in sports or they love sports, they're a fan of it, some sport or, or the other. Can you talk about your early interaction with sports growing up and your professional career? Yeah. Um, so I grew up in Kearney, New Jersey. Um, it's right near Giant Stadium. And uh, it's a soccer town, so I grew up in an area that soccer was the main sport. But just like any American kid, I grew up, I played baseball. I played Little League, Pony League baseball. I played soccer. Um, I also played, you know, little sports with my friends, like football out with my friends and basketball out with my friends. So I was born in 1985. I'm 34 right now. And the American athlete then was you played multiple sports in different seasons. And then you started to specialize as you got older. So as a kid, I was playing, you know, I was playing football in the street with my friends. I was playing little league, pony league, all-star baseball, soccer uh, at the highest level for club soccer at that time. 
I also played ice hockey um, from when I was 13 to 18. Um, so I had, I had a bunch of different sports I played and that really developed my youth career. And as I got older, soccer was the one sport I loved and I loved being a goalkeeper. So, um, I decided, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to do this full time. So I stopped playing baseball. I stopped playing ice hockey and I just focused on soccer and, um, was able to, to do well enough where I had a very good high school career. I got a college scholarship to a division one institution. I played college soccer and after college soccer, I played professional soccer in Norway for a little while. And, um, I really love the game and love the position. And that led to me starting modern goalkeeper. Um, upon graduating college, I had a, a business opportunity to invest in, uh, a new venture, which was an athletic training facility. So it was a brick and mortar location with, uh, a training, a turf training area, all modern strength and conditioning equipment. Uh, locker rooms, video analysis. And we started this in 2007, 2008. And as a 23-year-old, I was an investor and, and part owner and the youngest of any of the owners, investors, and, and employees. Um, so I decided to take that option rather than to go back and continue my professional career in Norway, um, where I, I had uh, options to play in the third division and the second division as a 23 year old American, which, which, uh, took a ton of work. Um, and it was a tough decision, but, uh, I thought, Hey, am I really going to make a run at this and be, be able to play in the premier league in Norway as a late developer, as an American goalkeeper? Um, or can I really, really make a run at being a professional coach and being one of the best American goalkeeper coaches, um, at my age. And I decided to do that. Um, and that's, uh, what started my coaching career. Wow. So I want to take you back because you have such an interesting history. Can you talk to us a little bit about if you get down deep into, as you were transitioning. So as you were going from, you said that you were playing multiple sports, the kind of the way how things used to be before we specialized so early in youth sports. Tell me a little bit about what, if any, um, interaction your parents or influence that your parents had on your decision to play soccer or just to specialize it, so to speak? Was it solely your decision? Did you feel a lot of influence from outside forces, from parents, from coaches? How did you come to that? Or was it just your sole love of the game? So I think, you know, playing multiple sports as a kid, it's great because you meet new friends, you meet new people. And, and I grew up in a small town where we, the same people were on the same teams almost. So you played little league baseball, you were playing with or against your friends in just the town. Um, and then travel soccer, I was playing for Kearney Thistle, which was the, the soccer club you wanted to play for in Kearney, a ton of history there. And we were playing with our friends and, and that group of friends actually played together since we were nine years old mm -hmm. and we graduated high school and our junior year won a state championship and, and did very, very well through our high school career at Carney High School. And that was part of the culture in the town. So you grew up playing multiple sports. Um, and we had some of my buddies that's, that played soccer and baseball with us. Some of us just stopped playing baseball and focused on soccer. And some were the other way around. They stopped playing soccer and focused on baseball. And mm -hmm. we had a, a, a nice group of athletes there where... Like I said, our junior year, we won a state championship for Kearney High School uh, in soccer. And 
our junior our junior year in the spring, all of our buddies that were playing baseball made it to the state championship in baseball. So um, unfortunately, they lost, but they they got there and had a great a great run. So you you saw what your friends were doing when you were growing up, and some people started to love baseball a little more, and some started to love soccer a little more, and that naturally uh, evolved that way. But that's what it sounds like to me, John. It sounds like you're saying that it was a more organic decision that led you to soccer. So tell me, would you say, is this a fair statement? Would you say that kind of your starting to specialize in soccer grew organically versus say mom or dad telling you this is what you need to be, you need to do, or this is a way for you to get into college? Would you say that it was more organic? I think it's more organic then because now there's, so I'm a first generation, uh, college graduate. My parents didn't go to college. So my father's a a police officer and my mother was an office manager. So I wouldn't say going to college was a big deal, but it was something new for our family. So um, we didn't have the pressure some kids have now. Now there's generations that everyone has been to college and it's kind of like a a simple notch on your belt that you have to go. Mm -hmm. Um, But we didn't have that pressure. You know, we things just happen naturally. Of course, your parents have been there and always want to help. But um, my parents, like my father played football growing up. My mom did track and basketball. Um, So they didn't pressure me to play those sports. They said, hey, play whatever you want. We, as I said, we grew up in Kearney where it was soccer was the main sport, but we still all played multiple sports. And I think there was support from the parents, but there was never any pressure like, hey, John, you're better at soccer. You have to do soccer because you may love baseball more, but you're never going to have a chance as a center, as a center fielder or a pitcher. You know, there was never those discussions, but I think those discussions happen now, unfortunately. So So can we talk about that a little bit? I don't want to cut you off because you're, you're dropping so many great um, tension points that I think so many of the listeners would would love your guidance or your opinion on so that whole so let's just talk about for a minute that whole idea of pressure pressure on the modern athlete the modern youth athlete can you give parents uh, maybe and and athletes maybe some tips maybe some ways to or putting context around that pressure how to deal with it whether it should even be a factor or how, how have you seen that come up and what advice do you have to give? So I think it's difficult, right? So we're, the United States is a little different than how other countries across the world handle sport. And I can mention that because I've traveled to other places and lived in other countries where you see the difference. So here it's very, very important. You win, you're successful you score a ton of points, you score a ton of goals, you break records, you're an All-American, you're All-State, you're whatever, which is great, right? But there's also, there needs to be a focus on development. And where other countries outside the US are very strong is they take a youth player, whichever sport it is, and they know there's a progression from here and it goes all the way up. So you need to start in the foundation level and then build that up until they become maybe maybe they do become a pro athlete or a very high level athlete but there's not so many jumps or blips in the radar of pressure because 
you let nature and and this is where we bring into coaching and professional coaching in a professional environment you let the environment do its job and work over time and i think here there's a little bit more pressure and a little bit more push when that's not necessarily the most important timing you know um so you know you can't force the horse to go drink the water right so sometimes right. you need to let it naturally happen and um i love that i i love I feel, what you said you'll hear it's sometimes there's too much pressure in the wrong time of a child's career you know or a wrong time in in their development years you know when mm-hmm. when sometimes you just have to put your arm around your child and say hey it's it's okay man like and just let them let them play and let them let them grow up and let them have fun and let them fail uh, and let them be successful and then there's other times when then you have to step in and be the adult and be a motivator and be a leader but you need to strike that balance um so you're not overwhelming your kids because that that happens a lot more i've seen that happen a lot more in the united states um especially the tri-state area where there's just a lot of pressure when there doesn't need to be pressure. You don't need to win a a 12 year old championship. You know, it, it doesn't, it's great. It's a great feeling and you want the kids to do that. But in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't really mean much. The experience is what means much. The trophy is not what is very important. It's the, it's the ride. It's the experience. So. And I think that will be helpful because you're standing in a position where you've kind of taken that journey, so to speak. You've gone from casual youth player enjoying, you've gone through the collegiate experience at a D1 school, you've played professionally. So that I think that's really um, offers some comfort, some relief, and some validation for parents to understand that the pressure to succeed, it's not necessary. Talk for a little, you use that word, let environment let environment do its job. What tell parents what what do you mean by that? I think you need to be, as a professional coach, we build our training environment so it works like a machine. There's all these moving parts behind the scenes, but as a parent or a player, you may not notice them. But that's our job as a professional coach is to set up all the it's like building a house, right? You have all these functional things you need to put together. So when you're home, the toilet works, the sink works, the oven works, the refrigerator works. And all these things can work together or work in unison for the common goal of having having the house or having the family function in this in this space. So um, we need to keep in mind that we're setting up all these things so they work together. Um, and that's where uh, that's where I think there's some some trouble with uh, within youth sports. Um, there's sometimes compartmentalization uh they they put things in compartments and don't and don't have the idea of all these things need to work together everything needs to come together give an give an example of that so uh if you could use maybe a fictitious player and how you would how would you implement that at modern goalkeeping so um let's say we take a a 10 year old, right? So the youngest will ever take a goalkeeper is like nine or 10 years old. So they're old enough where the physical demands they can handle and the psychological demands they can handle the coaching aspects because 
being a goalkeeper is difficult. You're giving up goals. Your teammates are complaining to you if you're having a bad day. Mm -hmm. So you have to start with teaching the fundamentals and teaching them how to, how to dive, how to handle the ball in a safe manner. And then you're, and then you're worried about, okay, after we teach them everything, how are we going to make them more efficient and effective when they're playing? But at the same time, you know, as a coach, for example, if they're 12 years old, the goal gets bigger. So when they're playing, um, usually they'll start playing seven on seven, then they'll play nine on nine and 11 on 11 on a full field. Now, when they go to a full field, the goal is eight feet high. But if you're 12 years old, 13 years old, and you're five foot five or five foot two or Maybe you're, you happen to be six foot because of, of how you're growing. The game's not fair. Uh, the game's not fair to you at that point in your growth and that point of your development. But we can't worry about that then. Mm. We have to stick to what our developmental plan is and say, hey, these are the things we have to teach at your age so you learn. If they're scoring a goal directly over your head because right now you're five foot two, but we know in four years from now, you're going to be six foot two. We can't change how we're coaching or change how we're teaching and interacting with our players because they may be giving up goals or making mistakes when they're 12 years old. So knowing that, right, if we look at everything from a holistic approach from the crow's nest, um, it's okay. Like it's okay for those things to happen. It's okay to lose. It's okay to give up goals that are over your head or give up goals that as a 12 year old it's okay it's it's not important because we have other things to focus on which is teaching to play safely and handle the ball the right way and make sure mentally psychologically and physically we know what to do and what to do when when the game's going on um john i am loving i'm I'm just going to break in because you keep saying such an important point the psychological and the physical development and how that how that plays in to the growth of an athlete and how a coach can deal with that. So I'm going to, I would love for you to touch on that. So the psychological, the physical, the development of a child, how do you, I'm going to ask you two questions. I want to, I want to know, how did you feel growing up? Did you feel like you had a good experience with your coaches once you became more serious, once you were specializing in soccer? How did you feel your psychological and your physical development was handled on that kind of it, when the specialty and then also in college? Talk about that experience for yourself. You think so, it was handled appropriately? Um, I, I guess... The professional coaching world is much more advanced than it was when I was growing up. So you had, when I was growing up, you had coaches that have played, maybe they played at the high school or played collegiately, uh, or maybe they were professional athletes. But being being a player, a former player, does not mean you're going to be a good coach, right? So we have we have some world-class players, like if you look at Maradona for soccer, right? Like he's a legend, but he's a terrible coach, even though everyone loves him. We love the guy, hell of a player, but he's not a coach. So you look at those things and me as a youth player, 
and th- this is part of why I take coaching so seriously. Do if I look back at how I was coached and how I was developed and and how everything worked out for me, I'd be disappointed. Um, I wasn't treated particularly well. Um, maybe because I was a goalkeeper, maybe because I was chubby as a kid and not as athletic as I became to be. And I was a late developer. So at 14, I was maybe bang on average. And then at 20, 22, all the players that were better than me at the youth level, I was better than all of them. Um, because of the amount of work I put in. But I recall a lot of situations as a youth player where the coaching skills I use now of how to talk to a player and when to talk to them, when to do a coaching correction and when to let them do it and let them just, and let them just try to do it on the fly, when to be a motivator and when to light a flame under their ass, but then also when to be a mentor and a friend and uh, have some compassion and show them you care, you know, whether they are very good or, or not very good, you're there and you're supporting them. And as a youth player, I don't, I don't recall that happening. There's all these skills you need as a professional coach. And if you're ticking boxes of all the skills you'd need to be a, a top level coach, and let's say there's 12 choices I remember growing up and maybe the coaches we had maybe had six or seven of those boxes checked. And a lot of them were playing experience, coaching experience, um, things like, like that. But dealing with an athlete psychologically, you wouldn't mark that box. Development, uh, developmental coach, developmental leader, um, one, to, one to motivate kids uh, positively. I wasn't a person that if someone told me you stink and they're yelling, I would list, I would agree with them. Right. I wouldn't, I'm not the type of person that's motivated by someone telling me, Hey, you stink and you're lazy. Um, you need to work harder. That's not my personality. I would need someone to take me over and say, Hey, John, uh, you made a couple errors this way. You made a mistake. And this is how we're going to teach you so it doesn't happen again. And this is what we're going to do to help you get better in these situations. And there is an ebb and flow. There's times when you go and you are talking to the player and you say, okay, this is where we made mistakes. This is what we need to do. But then you reinforce that with some other types of motivation. And then the athlete wants to work for you. They want to work hard. They believe in you as a coach. And now you have that camaraderie between a coach and an athlete. That's what develops world-class athletes. Um, And you need to know how to do that as a coach and as a motivator. If not, you're going to be, you're going to know the game and, and maybe be successful how you set up a team, but you're not going to be a player developer. And um, I remember as a kid, there were times when if I was, I, I had a pretty strong mentality, even though I was very shy as a kid, so I can deal with a lot and was very quiet. But if I was the same, if I was the person I've turned into now because of these experiences, I would have verbalized more of how I felt, mm-hmm. um, that I wasn't, I wasn't happy. I didn't feel like um, I was beating, uh, being treated fairly. And some of those things are missing in, in youth sports. And that's... So then- uh, 
that brings the pressure on a youth athlete. That brings the pressure on a youth athlete. So wait a minute, before I dive in with another question, tell me what you, so are you saying that kind of the failure, maybe the lack, maybe it's not even intentional, the not being aware of understanding the psychological and maybe even the physical development of a child puts the burden on the child to try to figure out how to manage, you know, when the coach is upset, is that what you mean by put, puts the burden on the player? Yeah, I think so. If if a child makes a mistake in sports, the coach's job is to d- dissect what happened, what went wrong, and how am I going to teach you to get better so this situation doesn't come up as often? And then how to deal with it psychologically and how to speak to the athlete with feedback, right? And then motivation so we can get better. If those things are missing, you become a bit of a dictator. But if you're not capable of saying, this is what you did wrong, but then teaching how to do it correctly, then you're not coaching. If you're saying, this is what you did wrong, and you tell the kid to fix it, you have to give them the tools to fix it, and you have to show them. And then after showing them and teaching them how to do it, now you have to motivate them to go do it on their own when you're coaching on the sideline and the game is going on. So these are things where when you're developing athletes, you need to know when to reel them in and when it's going to be very much teaching and very much explaining and demonstrating and modeling. And then you have to let them go out there and try it and fail and support them. Because as a coach, you're not winning the game or you're not losing the game. The players are the ones winning and losing the game. It's your job to oversee that you put them in the most successful environment or set them up as successful, uh, to be successful, excuse me. Um, And that goes with the technical skills, the tactical skills, the social skills, um, the physiological skills, uh, the psychology, right? You have to bring all those things in so uh, the players can be successful when they compete. So you were talking earlier about some of the boxes, you know, if there, you kind of gave a hypothetical, if there's 12 boxes or sort of thing, 12 criteria that a coach should have. So answer this for me. If a parent who is starting out new in this more competitive youth environment, and they're listening, they're, they're looking for, I'm considering this trainer, I'm considering this team, this, this coach, coaching staff for my child, or even this sport. What are kind of some of those, maybe the three or four things that you would say, look, um, young athlete, look, parent, this is what you should look for in this sporting experience, in this coaching experience from this coach. What are some of the things you would tell a parent to look for or even so an athlete? I, I think just like you would hire anyone, like someone to paint your house or someone to build your home or or fix your car, you want to look at a professional that is, has experience and has done things that are relative to your, your child or their sport or that, or that sort of market. Um, so you're going to get feedback from past players and past, and past coaches or colleagues where like, hey, this guy's really good and this is why. And we trust him and we believe in him because we've seen it. Um, so that's really that's really important but you you need to look at all aspects right there's 
the physical aspect, right? Where is a coach capable of teaching them the physical things they need to know for the sport, the technical aspects, the skills, um, tactical is when the game is happening, what things we need to teach within the game, uh, social, how the coach interacts with players, because as a youth coach, you have to be able to talk to the players and, and interact with them. Um, and know when it's time to be the leader and the guy on the top of the totem pole. And then when, and know when it's time to be in the mix with the players, like, Hey, we're all together here. Um, and this, the psychological part. So you need to find a balance of finding a coach that has all of those things. And then also you have to know who your child is. If your child is going to be motivated by someone, maybe yelling at them on the side and that, that motivates your child, then maybe that coach in that part of their life would make a ton of sense. Um, and then maybe there's a child that needs someone to talk to them and explain and model things and, and educate and be an educator. Maybe that's the choice you have for your child in that particular sport. So as parents, we need to know our kids and, and what they're like, what their personality is like, and try to match that with the coaches the best we can, because we can't always we can't always order off a menu when we're, when we're choosing coaches for youth sports. Um, but you have to keep that in mind and be, I, like you would say, an educated consumer, right? You have to know what you're buying or what you're investing your time into and then finding what's best. You know, I, I wear Nike shoes cause they fit my foot better than Adidas, but I love Adidas. I love how they look, but, um, and I love how Nike looks, but, I'm going to choose Nike because it's functional and works well for me. So that's what we have to look at as a, as a parent and as a, and as an athlete where let's find an environment that makes sense for me personally. So talk to, talk to us on a little bit about what is your approach? And I want you, when you answer the question, I want to even bring in, your experience as a professional athlete or as a even a co collegiate athlete thinking about those times to answer this question how much or how important do you think input from the athlete um how much consideration do we do we give to that should the coach be the one that's saying no look i have the view of everything going on listen to me or are we how much, how much credence, how much validity should, validity should we give to the athlete? If the athlete is saying, no, I can't do this, or this skill is not right for me, or this mm -hmm. is just not working. What, how, do you, how do you approach that? How did you approach that? And how do you approach that now as so a coach? There, it's important you get feedback from your players. What's also important is there's not one decision maker. So if you look at pro sports, there's usually multiple coaches. So for, for soccer, there's usually a staff of four or six. So there's the head coach or the manager, there's two assistants, there's a goalkeeper coach, and then there's a fitness coach and so on and so forth. But when you make, you know, the manager or the, or the head coach makes all the final decisions, but they talk to their staff together. Hey, maybe I'm missing something. Right. I, I know when I was coaching at St. Benedict's, I was the goalkeeper coach and that was my main focus, assistant coach and goalkeeper coach. But I knew my place. There was a head coach. There was two assistants and I was an assistant and goalkeeper coach. 
So we all gave feedback to each other and everyone understood what each coach's mentality was and what the ideas were. And then the manager or the head coach would make the decisions, but he wouldn't just make them on his own. He would make them because he consulted his staff. And then also you bring in the, the opinion of the players or maybe the captains of the team and you get feedback from your players and you gauge everything based on the professional environment you're in because some players are going to complain because they're not playing or they're not happy or there's always people that are very happy and then there may be some some players that are unhappy because not everyone can play at the same time but you have to look at all these things chat with your staff and say okay how are we going to handle this situation that's best for the players and the coaching staff so everyone can be successful and work in harmony. And that's why player feedback is important and it needs to be considered. And as a coach, we, we can't give players way too much power and we can't give them too little power, right? We have to make sure we're all working together because we're all trying to achieve a common goal. And the feedback from your fellow coaches or in your staff, and then your feedback from your captains and other players, you just gain perspective of what the environment is really like, and you can improve that way and make it an optimal, an optimal coaching environment for your kids, for the kids. All right. I have, I, you're giving us so much and I have two more questions. I know that you were all busy. You have things that you have to do. I don't want to hold you up, but I want, to know if you can give some insight since you've lived it into how we can manage the the matriculation into college um, on scholarships. So giving you a scenario, you have an athlete, you know, now we start, you know, looking at, you know, very young high school, you know, there's that pressure. Um, on an athlete, they're thinking about college, they're thinking about the scholarship. How would you say that parents and athletes handle that? Would you say that they just continue to enjoy the sport? And if the scholarship comes, it comes. Um, is there is there are there any insights you can give from your own experience, and then how you're seeing the pressure of getting a college scholarship based on a sport? How that's being played out now? Yeah, I think every sport's a little different. So college football is insane with how they do recruiting. And you look in, if you look at the women's game, women's recruiting starts a year, a year and a half earlier than men's does. So you have some women, a female soccer players that are getting recruited and sign, signing national letters of intent as a 14-year-old, a freshman in high school, a sophomore in high school. So it gets a little kooky, you know, um, and every sport is different. You know, there's a ton of money in, in NCAA football, NCAA basketball. That recruiting patterns are totally different there than men's soccer and women's soccer. The funding is like a frat. It's a joke. Like the, the, the cornerback coach is making 300000 and and the head soccer coach at a Big East institution is making two hundred, And the cornerback coach is like the ninth assistant. So there's, with the money that's involved too, it just... It, it gets a little bit crazy. So with, I guess it depends what you're looking to do, right? If you're an American and you're going to play American football 
you're doing uh, baseball, you're doing basketball. The path to a, to a pro environment here for the big American sports is very easy. If you play at a big football school, you have a chance to be in the NFL. If you play at a big basketball school, you have a chance to go to the NBA um, and baseball. Uh, same thing. Whereas soccer, it's a little more difficult. Even though we have the MLS, the pathway is a little more difficult and the rules are a little different um, uh, with collegiate sports. And the funding and the money aspect is much different, uh, which what stadiums you're playing in, what resources the schools and institutions have to give to the athletes. And that's not even touching into the illegal recruiting practices that happen with the the major sports in the United States. So I think you have to look at what sport you're playing, right? So if I'm playing uh, football or baseball or, or softball or, or basketball, this is kind of going to be my pathway to get to pro sports. And, and in the U S that's through collegiate sports. If you're playing, if you're doing soccer, you could probably use collegiate sports as a stepping stone because you would want to try to get into a professional environment when you're 16 or 18 um, or go overseas and try to do that at 16 or 18 if you can. So you have to look at what's important to you and your family because there's an academic aspect as well. So if you're able to go to school and get a degree and play sports and do well and get a scholarship and get a free education, and have the opportunity to play professional sports, if that works for you and your family, then that's great. If you're all gung-ho on going straight to being a professional athlete, then maybe the academic component is different. Um, so you have to see what, what you're trying to achieve and where you, where you wanna live when you go to school, what you wanna study, and how you're gonna leverage that with the, the financial package you're getting from, from each school. Um, but there has to be, it has to be a happy medium. You know, I want to live, I want to live over here and go to school here. I love the weather. I'm going to do well academically here. They have something I want to study. The sports component works well for me. And then everything meshes into real life and it becomes comfortable and you're at a place you really want to be. Um, you see some athletes chasing a, a, athletic scholarships and they go to a place where they're, they just hate being there. You know, I've had a couple that they've gotten a ton of money. Uh, the denomination was double or triple what they got at other places, but it was a place they didn't really want to live. They didn't really want to go to school there, but they wanted to say, Hey, I'm, I'm getting an 80% scholarship. I'm saving my parents a lot of money and, and I'm going to be a D1 athlete. Uh, and and being paid to play almost uh, at this level, so it depends what you want to do and what right. um, makes sense for you and your family. But this like decision: Am I going straight? Do I want to go straight? My goal is I have to be a pro, or is my goal an academic and athletic route? And then you you can choose what's best for you and your family, but you cannot always. You cannot always just choose a financial choice um, because it may not be in the best interest of the family or the athlete. Okay, so it really sounds like you're talking about kind of a theme that you're giving to us of balance, that regardless 
this whole journey through youth athletic sports, there has to be a balance. There has to be a balance in the coaches that you pick. They have to not only develop a player physically, psychologically, they have to also do it tactically. They have to be trained. And then also for parents that are starting out this journey or midway through and an athlete that's now looking or thinking about college, it just isn't the money. You have to think about your end goal, what you're looking for, and ultimately there has to be a balance. So I think that that will be useful to individuals thinking about worrying about uh, scholarships because there is that pressure. We know there's that pressure. You talked a little bit about earlier how for you it was more organic when you started to specialize versus in today's environment where there's more external influences on an athlete. So I, I guess that maybe it would be good to end and to um, what would you then leave our listeners with in reference to how you at Modern Goalkeeping, what is your philosophy? What, and what is that philosophy so that parents can know what to look for in any sport, be it gymnastics, if it's swimming, um, what should they look for? What should this athletic journey ultimately give them? With any sports, you're going to learn intangible skills that are going to help you in life because not everyone's going to be a professional athlete, right? But they may be a business owner. They may be, they may be an attorney. They may be a doctor. They, they may be a teacher. Um, they may go into different, different ways of making a living as an adult. But I think you need to, to look at the process and how you're, how you're teaching within how you're teaching or what you're learning during the, the process of sports. So if you're playing sports from 10 years old to your 22, what intangible skills do you learn as an athlete that are going to help you in real life? Right. If you're going to be a pro athlete, right. You need to be in an environment where you're learning and developing each year, each, each week, each month and setting a progression. We call it periodization in, in soccer it's training periodization of what, what we do week one and what we do week 36. And for my business, for Modern Goalkeeper, our training platform is usually youth players from nine years old to, and we have professional athletes as well. We're going to take them at a certain age and we're going to develop them over a, a five, seven, nine, 10 year period. So when they get, they can peak at the right time and they can peak and have an opportunity to play at the highest level they want. But you're teaching all these, all, uh, all these little skills while that's happening. Of course, the skills in each sports and the, the tactical knowledge of what to do when and the technical of how to do this action, right? How to kick the ball, how to dive for this shot, how to throw the ball, how to get your positioning. But you're also teaching them how to be on time, how to be organized, how to be professional how to interact with each other in a professional environment, how to motivate each other, how to be a good friend, a good teammate, how to work within a team, how to work within a group. It can't be me, me, me all the time. Um, those are the intangible things you're, you're teaching. And then I also think, and, and this is a little bit uh, on left field here, but as, a, as American athletes, we really push our kids that you have to go to college at 18 or 19. You have to go to school. 
And if you really look at, if you look at some people that are very good at certain things, maybe they're an excellent chef, they're an excellent painter, they're an uh, uh, entrepreneur, um, they, they may not have that, they may take the beaten path to get where they are because they're, they're exceptional individuals and they think differently than other people. So we have to know how we can help how we can help and how we can motivate these people because not everyone is going to work a nine to five job and get an education and use their degree to work for someone or work in an office or work in a professional environment. Maybe they're going to, you know, maybe they're going to design a car or design um, a new skateboard or be an artist or something. So we have to, we have to, fill the kids with ideas of what they can do through sport. You know, what intangible skills can we teach them through sport? And um, like I said, responsibility and, and, uh, and just interacting with each other. And then also the selfish part of what do I personally need to work on to be the best I can be? And you have to use all those things and gain all those, um, different attributes through your career so you can be successful. And I love that. I think that that is the perfect note to end this on. It really gives me the takeaway that in youth competitive sports, it sounds like we really need to capitalize all capital letters, underscore, highlight the word youth. They are really leading the journey. And we as fans, supporters, coaches, and advocates we're there to support them. It's Modern Goalkeeper. You can find us at Modern Goalkeeper Training on Instagram. Uh, on our website, it's moderngoalkeepertraining.com. Um, and we have, you know, you can, you can find us over the internet on YouTube. If you look up Modern Goalkeeper Training Systems, we have a bunch of YouTube videos as well. And um, of course, you can always uh, reach out to me directly. Uh, I'm always uh, available for a, a phone call or a text message at 201-741-0221. I want it, I want it to be uh, known that I want to be active. I don't want. I want to be active with the with any athletes or any uh, any family members and be here as a, a guide or to help. So it's important that uh, I'm accessible and and it could be as quick as a phone call or a text message. And you're talking to a, to a real person. There needs to be a personal touch of, of hey, like, hey, you can even a reinsurance call. Like, hey, we're here to to help and give some insight. A real person, a real expert, and a real athlete. Thank you so much, John. I really appreciate the time. No, thanks so much for having me. Okay. All right. Talk soon. See you soon. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the Legally Brief podcast. Remember to join Judy and fellow listeners at the Legally Brief Facebook group. 